Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com. Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab podcast, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Each week, we want to bring you an insightful interview on a specific topic in board game design to help you design and create games people love. And now, here's your host, Gabe Barrett. What's up, my friends? Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab. Today, talking about one of my favorite topics. Today, we're talking about theme. I love thematic games. I love taking something that's going on in real life or just an idea and turning it into a game. So today we're going to be talking about what it looks like to take mechanisms and make them more thematic and also talking about what it looks like to take a theme, take something that maybe is happening in real life or just you know something cool, a cool idea and turn that into an actual game. And we're talking to Tobias Olson and Samuel Sapphire from Tea Time Productions. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, super excited to have you guys here on the show. You've worked on some very interesting games in the past. One in particular that's on, on Kickstarter right now, just a super thematic game. So I'm excited to kind of hear your perspectives, hear, hear your process, figure out how in the world you, you take something that's out in the world and then turn it into a game. But then also you've got some experience in taking a mechanism and then adding theme to it. So you guys are really interesting to talk to as far as both sides of the thematic coin, so to speak. But before we get into that, who are you? How'd you get into game design? All that kind of thing. Ah, okay. Thank you. Um, so hello, I am Tobias Olson uh, and I live in uh, North Shopping in Sweden, uh, a mid-sized town. Um, my daytime profession is as a teacher, and uh, nighttime I'm a game game designer. Um, I would say I got into game design at a very early age. Uh, my parents say they had to put up with playing my games uh, from the first day <laughs> I could hold a pen. Back then, no one understood the rules, uh, if there if there were were any rules. Uh, but the coming years, I played a lot of games. Um, not necessarily a lot of different games, but I played a few games many times. Um, and I particularly remember one game, I think it was called Quest. It was a game where you had four castles uh, and you played this uh, knight who was going to carry a ring um, to these castles to get the, um, the seal of the castle, I think it is. Uh, and I, I, I loved the game, but I thought there was a lot of room for improvement in this game. So this was probably the first time I you know, got into game design for real. I, I started redesigning that game. Other than that, uh, the games that affected my childhood was games like Scotland Yard, uh, Mastermind, uh, a Swedish game called The Jagged Row, Labyrinth, and Taguish, to name a few. And yeah. That's me. Um, and well, I got into the game design much, much, much later than that. I'm, I, I also, I'm kind of an avid gamer since childhood. I've played a lot of role-playing games. Um, some, you know, some Warhammer 40K and some fantasy and stuff like that growing up. And then I had a kind of a large black <sighs> hole of not playing games for many years uh, until I met up. I, you know, I, I did play some, some, basic euro games um from 20 to to mid mid 20 and then i kind of stopped and then i ran into rustin hawkinson um, who lives close by and i'm kind of started off looking at his prototypes and got interested and that's kind of where it shot off from for me 
I'm oh, I'm Samuel Sapphire, by the way. I also live in North Shipping, same town. Um, and yeah, that's kind of, I've, that's kind of me. And so, how did you guys get into like publishing, into you know working together with Tea Time Productions? Give me kind of the brief summary of how that came to happen. It's, it was actually kind of interesting. We um, I work uh, in something very different. I run a on e-commerce agency building e-commerce platforms, and we had Russell Hawkinson as our he sat down on our our um, some of our meetings, our board meetings. And um, in between meetings, we kind of played games. We discussed games and stuff like that. And during uh, one of these afternoons, he kind of explained one of these prototypes. Rustin is super, super, super effective. So he always has a few hundred prototypes just rolling around. Um, so he, he was very proud of one of them. And he started off discussing it with me. And I kind of went home. I'm feeling a bit psyched about the whole prototype thing. And to start doing the math, um, can we do this ourselves? That would be a lot of fun. And that's kind of where it landed. So we have, the day after that, I kind of asked, Rustin, are you interested in trying to do this our, by ourselves, not going by our producer? And he was very happy about it. So that was the, that was the main start of Tea Time Productions. Yeah, and back then, I, Tobias, I, I wasn't in the company. I, I just arrived like... Can it be two years? Two years back, yeah. Two years back. Um, so this was before me. Yeah, so Tobias, how did you get involved with the company? Uh, well, I, I got involved because uh, the other two in the company, Samuel and Gustav, they are my childhood friends. Uh, so, so we play a lot of games. Uh, and I, I'm a game designer, and I thought it was really cool that I had two friends running a publishing company. Uh, and I thought, hey, you need a new game designer on board. Uh, and I had a few, uh, few different games uh, that uh, we looked at, and uh, uh, we started working with with another game actually. But uh, uh, then it, it it boiled down to uh, this ski tour game that we we decided, okay, let's let's do this. Let's try to to make this thing happen. Uh, so that's where it started for me. Yeah, very cool. All right, so let's uh, you know turn to the topic at hand as far as theme. In your opinion, y'all's opinion, what is a good working definition? When when someone says theme, what does that mean to you? Yeah, what is the theme? I would say the theme is like the setting of a game. Uh, it can be fantasy, civilization building, sci-fi, sports, or just about anything really. Uh, it can be a way to give more complex games a bridge uh, for players to understand the rules. Um, like, you know, why is this this thing used to do this? Um, if the theme fits, many rules will be easier to understand. Um, and the theme also often represents the feeling you want a player playing the game to have, you know, when, when opening the box for the first time, uh, when setting up the game on the game board for the first time. Uh, a feeling you want to mediate. Is that how you say it? Mediate? Mediate. 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 Yeah. Uh, and I think this is very important. Uh, I mean, there are, there are examples of many great games with fantastic, fantastic mechanics that just don't get their deserved recognition because of a theme that I think isn't selling the game enough. For me, it's, it's, it's extremely important that it's, it's a theme and not a skin. Because many times you can kind of sit down, you can play the game, and you can actually feel, especially if you play like Euro games, 
sometimes it's it's only a skin on top of a mechanic and that's that's not really nice it's it doesn't give the it doesn't give the game a credit the credit it needs and yeah so that's important for me to to make sure that the theme is actually a theme and not just something you put on top yeah definitely and i want to talk a little bit more about that in just a second but first why do you think theme is so important now tobias you just mentioned because it helps you know the the rules to make more sense and, and it kind of helps players kind of make some logical jumps or, or the, the theme acts as a bridge for certain rules and i think that's definitely one of the reasons theme is important any other reasons why theme is is really important in game design um i really think that storytelling is big these days i mean it's important to be able to tell a story, to have a narrative which you can actually follow and to build something that is more than mechanics. So storytelling is important. And for us to spend so many hours around the table doing something together, I think our narrative is important for, to, to kind of build up on that and build a structure around the, the playing of the game. Yeah. Uh, and also, if you want to look at it from... Um... A marketing perspective um, there are so many games coming out out right now and uh, I would say that even though if, if you if you like a theme or if you don't like themes at all you will always go for the theme you like the best uh, if there are two similar games uh, so from, from that perspective it's also very important yeah. to, to know what theme to use yeah, that's a great point. You know, a lot of people complain that, you know, there are too many zombie games out there or too many fantasy games or, or whatever. But the truth yeah. is people buy them. You know, the, people, the yeah. publishers wouldn't keep making them if people didn't keep buying them. And so you just have to be aware of the market and what people want, you know. And, and I think there's a, definitely a place for kind of off the beaten trail themes. I think your your game that's on Kickstarter right now uh, is one of those. It's just a really cool idea that's, that's not fantasy. It's not sci-fi. It's not trading in the Mediterranean. It's not civilization. It's a different <laughs> way to do things. I think there's definitely a place in the market. But at the end of the day, you yeah. just have to be honest uh, about the game as a product and realize how much theme and art and all these other things are going to play into uh, people buying it or not. Yeah. Uh, you know, our theme is, uh, it's not the first time Python is done, but it's uh, if, if we fund, uh, it will be pretty much the first time it's a big Python game uh, on the market, uh, and, and this is of course something good for us because it it's make it makes us stand out, but also it makes us really really nervous because <laughs> <laughs> it's not zombies, it's not sci-fi, it's not civilization building, it's it's just Python. Uh, and it's a very narrow market but on the other hand cycling is also a narrow market and Flamme Rouge did it very good uh, so yeah yeah but to be honest with you I mean when going around we, we spent a few days at Essen Spiel this year and just going around to these different producers these big time producers and showing showing the, our game to them they kind of looked at us as I'm um, well, I'm not going to use the nasty words, but they were not too impressed because their their idea was that sports game cannot cannot ever uh, be big or have or reach a large market, which was interesting. That kind of triggered us a lot because we like being the underdog. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm a huge fan of sports games. Anyone who's listened to this podcast for any length of time has definitely heard me uh, talk about sports. I've been working on sports games myself and myself. And so I'm definitely right there with you, you know, in realizing that the market is it's a harder sell than fantasy, than sci-fi, than zombies or something like that. But I mean, 
goodness gracious, we just need some good sports games out there. I think maybe that's the that's the problem. Maybe there just haven't been enough really really good ones to perpetuate. Agreed. You know, maybe making more. And uh, you know, I've got a game. It's it's a football game that's going on Kickstarter coming up in January, and I'm right there with you, hoping that people see the game <laughs> yeah. and, and really enjoy it. Now, one thing, and I want to ask you about this as far as theming goes. One thing I've decided to do instead of it just being normal football, you know, instead of just being people, I've decided let's let's go kind of a monsters direction and, and make it. The game's called Dungeon Ball. Right. And so it's these dungeon monsters playing football and there's you know ways to cheat. And there's different ways to kind of bring out the kind of monster theme of it. And so walk me through that when when you were deciding, OK, we're going to do biathlon. Did you have any kind of thoughts as far as, OK, should we mix themes? Should we mix some genres? Is that make it a little bit different product, better product, something like that? Did you have any kind of conversations like that? Yeah. You know, um, starting from a theme, it was exactly what we did with. Um, <laughs> no, it wasn't. Uh, what we did with the ski tour, it was somewhere close to it. Um, you know, this process actually started uh, when, when me myself, I wanted a racing game at home um, and I wanted to buy Formula D, uh, Formula D, uh, but I couldn't found, I couldn't find it. Uh, it was sold out, you know, used uh, or new. I couldn't, couldn't find one. Uh, so this, then I thought, oh, you know, I can create this game myself or a racing game. So I, I began creating uh, and the, the first racing experience, uh, I, I started working with us, uh, as you usually do with the mechanics. And I slapped on a theme with monkeys acting as jockeys, riding elephants around a slippery course. Um, and, you know, this adding a theme to my mechanic like I did uh, helped me explain a few rules, why it was important to be earlier to race course than your opponents, for example. But that theme was slapped on. Uh, it was a game with racing mechanics that had a theme with the intention of being explanatory more than giving players a setting. And I, find, I found a few things creating this game that I liked, but I wanted my game to be more close to reality and true to its theme. Um, I wanted to really get the feeling of being in the game, feeling like it was me participating uh, and this is where I decided to turn the table and uh, look at theme first. Uh, you know, after a few steps of uh, both doing, doing some easier market research, look at, looking at uh, my own interests and what I thought the market lacked, I decided to go with biathlon. Um, you know, I love watching this sport on television. Uh, it has so many factors uh, that make the entire race interesting. You know, it's both racing and shooting in the same race and, and this without it being a fantasy racing game that's what spoke to me the first uh, and also the fact that it's a sport uh, it's a sport you know really hard to master uh, creating a game about it 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 was my only chance of getting a chance to try it out for real uh, or for real but yeah you know on the uh, board for real yeah this is as close I will ever get to, you know, being a biathlete myself. I love ski. I love watching people ski, and I hate the colds. You make do the math. <laughs> You'd much rather do this as a board game than uh, having to go out there in the snow, huh? Yes, I'm. I'm very unlucky living in Sweden. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Now let me ask you about this. So uh, I think it's a really cool perspective. You're you're thinking, okay, I want this to be similar to real life. Okay, in that case, I'm not going to do dungeon monsters. I'm not going to do you know fantasy. I'm not going to do monkeys or anything like that. It's going to be real people. It's going to be trying to figure out 
uh, how to make this feel like the real biathlon. And so, but walk, walk me through your process of kind of, you know, avoiding it just being a simulation because lots of simulations it's too far, it's too complicated, it's way too much going on. It takes forever to play the game. It kind of sucks all the fun out of it. But at the same time, you want it to feel like a biathlon. You don't want it to just be pasted on, you know, like so many games out there where the theme could have been anything. It's really just a mechanism with, with some shiny art. And so walk me through your process of really making, finding that sweet spot in the middle, not simulation, not pasted on, feels like a biathlon. Well, first of all, you have to kind of find the sport which actually have these kind of elements to it, because in, in in the baseline, I'm if if it's if it's just a race, if it's a from start to stop race where nothing else happens and someone gets tired and someone kind of um, does a few great laps and someone does a few bad laps, it really it's not easy making the theme work out for you because you'll have a very streamlined game and it will be really boring. So Biathlon for us was was one of these things where you can add a lot of things to, to happen around the game. So that was a good start. Yeah, uh, the difference I thought I find when working from a theme as opposed to working from, from a mechanic is that you get a better fit. Uh, you give the player a more you know genuine feeling since uh, every design move you make is to fit the theme better um, and starting in a mechanic means you have things that work well together and you have to think oh what does this represent and how do i explain it using my theme uh, you then assign thematic functions to each mechanic but Starting in a theme instead, you say like, okay, so I got these things. I need uh, I need to be in the game to give the player the right feeling, and how can I implement them into a board game in the best possible way while giving the player the feeling that they are really actually performing the actions. Um, and you know, in in skeeter biathlon, we have a few things that I thought was really important to mediate, mediate, mediate. Yeah, mediate. Uh, that biathlon feeling uh, and I quickly identified what I thought was essential for the game you know I wanted to create a simulation but at the same time you know we, we can't sit uh, going around in, in circles for you know 40 minutes because before we get to the shooting range we have to speed it up we have to adapt to the board game world uh, but I had like shooting uh, of course, the shooting is a big part of biathlon, so this needed to be addressed. We had stamina. Uh, racing a long race along a course requires the skier to track his stamina and not sprint away like crazy, getting tired in the first few hundred meters. Um, you also had to control your, I, I don't know what word to use here, but form. Like, you know, you're formed during a race. Sometimes you may be in better shape. You get this feeling like, okay, I got a good, good bit of energy right now. So I'm going to make a break for it. Maybe you call it energy, uh, but it's it's not stamina. Uh, and then you have the preparations. You know, uh, in a biathlon, it's important to survey the terrain as well as like waxing your skis in the right way before the race starts. Um, and you also have like strategy. You want to be able to outsmart your opponents and use their actions to your own benefit. Uh, and strategy and tactics go like hand in hand. So the, the knowing when to make a sprint and when to sit back. Uh, also regarding tactics, you want the players to be able to team up and help each other during the race. Uh, whether this means, you know, a group of skiers saying, hey, we need to work together to catch up to the leader. 
or reversed. Um, you may have two, two skiers leading and working together to stay away from the chasing pack. Uh, and the, the last thing uh, I, I wanted to have was this crowded feeling. Uh, a biathlon race can sometimes get you know, crowded. Um, there are so many skiers in the same place. Uh, you get skis and you want to ski in the best snow or position yourself in the best way. Uh, and of, of course, there are uh, always opportunities to take another way, but that often is a bit more costly. Uh, and how do we get that into this game? Uh, and I'm sure I missed something here, but when I began like this, I had a few things to start working from. Yeah, very cool. Now, one thing that goes with sports is a lot of just stuff that's not fun, right? Whether it's nutrition and making sure you're eating the right things or <laughs> being in the weight room or all the off-season conditioning, all that kind of stuff. But that doesn't necessarily translate to being fun in a board game. And so tell me about some of the things that you cut out. I know there's a lot of like civilization games out there that you always have to feed your people. It's like, well, feeding your people is not very fun. It's usually just part of balancing or things like that. Uh, so what were some of the things you cut out just because they're not very fun in a board game? I mean, first of all, um, you, you're absolutely right. There are, there's a million things that kind of, uh, it's not necessary and does not drive the narrative. It's, it's, it's boring stuff. And first of all, you kind of just, just, just have to think about what is in, what would be interesting for me and what's actually in the race, what will kind of cause traction. Yeah. Uh, when I started designing this game, I, you know, if you, if you watch a race of skis, um, whether it's biathlon or if it's cross country, one, one thing you notice is you have coaches that stand um, along the race course. Uh, this was something we had from the beginning. You know, you could place your courses, uh, courses. You could place your coaches along the course, that would give you like bonuses when you when you pass them. This is something that I cut uh, because um, it, it didn't add as much as it made the game more complex in a bad way. And also the, the general dice mechanic. Uh, from the beginning, this this mechanic that we use was used um, on something like a common board uh, for all the skiers. Um, and th this was a this was a nice nice mechanic that I I you know I loved it. Uh, this was uh, what I thought made the game good from the beginning, uh, and which I started working from. But the phrase is, you know, you got to kill your darlings. Uh, and it didn't fit uh, the theme. So we, we made this same mechanic, but we gave each skier their own lungs, uh, so to speak. Uh, we, we, there, there's no biathlon race or no cross-counter race where you share lungs with your opponents. So th that was strange. But we, we cut that. Gotcha. Okay. So we've been talking a lot about having an idea for a theme and then adding mechanisms to it and, and trying to figure out how they marry together. But let's switch gears just for a second and talk about tribes, because in that game, you started out with some mechanisms and some ideas and then had to figure out, okay, now what theme can we make work with this? So tell me about the different processes you've gone through. Like, tell me about the, the process you went through for tribes. Um, tribes was super different because tribes was I was one of these prototypes Rustin had in the big prototype bag. So we kind of um we kind of had a not a ready product, but it was it was in the far stages. And we just had to kind of um look at the mechanics and look and look at the game and think about what can actually fit, what what would, would make sense. And we had a few ideas before going for um for a very, very easy civilization building game. Um and it's a big difference. It's a very big difference because um, 
when you have the rule set clear, it's um, you have to you have to fiddle around with your mechanic and in the in, or sorry with your theme. And in the end run, the theme will that's my opinion will obviously feel a bit broken because it's 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 not built for the mechanics. It's it's the other way around. So so to be honest, um, tribes turned out to be kind of a skin ish thing where we just added the, the theme to, to add more um, more life to the game. Um, the other way around is so much nicer because you can you can start adding things, adding rules, adding mechanics, adding stuff all around the game to make sure that the theme feels alive. And th- it's a massive difference. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. What were some of the other themes that you tried? Oh, this was a long time ago. I'm. Um, I think we had we had some space ideas. Of course, there were probably some zombies in it. Um, most just going most, down the list, huh? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I thought if if there was no monsters, I would be I would be surprised. Um, no, I think a space race thing was was actually um on the list, but I mean we had some idea. Rustin did a game called Nations. And we had some ideas that we could probably kind of slide onto that to make some kind of a prequel. So that was the main decision why going into a civilization builder. So, so basically, that was more of a marketing decision than than actually a, a mechanical or board game designing decision. Yeah, definitely. Now, going back to what something you just said, it, it you said it's easier when you start with a theme. And then just adding to it, what are some of the challenges though when you begin with a theme and then have to figure out how to make a game out of it? Okay. Um, the biggest challenge is staying staying true to true to the, to this uh, theme. Uh, it's, it's one of the dangers working from a theme. It's um, you are bound to what this theme offers you, so you're you're very limited uh, choosing a theme. You can't. I mean, if I I want to do this, but oh no, this theme, you know, blocks my creative process. Uh, so, so that's that's something that I find um, very hard, but at the same time, it's it's also what makes you know working from a theme very good. You get a perfect fit. Mechanics are actually designed to fit the theme and not reverse. It's easily communicated goal of the game. Uh, if the goal is obvious uh, in the theme, players will know the goal before reading any rules, uh, and you get to choose your target audience in a different way. And and um. It's actually something that's kind of fun because we just we're having that problem in our Kickstarter at this point. Um, I mean, when you when you work with a theme, you have to kind of kill off a few things which are boring, which you n- mentioned earlier on. And there will be people whom are very very much into the theme. Um, I mean, there's a massive crowd of people really really into biathlon, and they get really cross with us, kind of. T- putting some nations out of the game, um, which should have been in the game. Um, I think that's one of the main main questions during our Kickstarter is um, why is not this country in, why is not that country out, and so on and so forth. And that is one of the problems that you will you will have a you will have a big um, crowd of people who are very very into whatever theme you're looking at, and that can create some issues while picking th- things out of the game which does not fit. Yeah, I think that's really something to take into account if you're operating from a theme of real life, right? A real sport, you know, not adding monsters to it, not adding zombies (laughs) to it, uh, monkeys on elephants. But you you have certain things that you're really bound to. And that's that's something you really have to uh, make some 
decisions early on as a designer, okay, am I okay being bound inside this box or do I want to kind of get outside of it? Now, one thing I ran into with one of my football games, uh, the one I was talking about just saying ago is, okay, if it's real football, then cheating is definitely frowned upon, <laughs> right? You know, you, and like your biathlon game, if, if, you know, you can't shoot the opponents. You can't oh. trip up your opponents as they're skiing down the course. That's frowned upon. That's illegal. That gets you kicked out. You'll you be disqualified. But if you do monsters, you know, and now all of a sudden you can cheat and it's okay. Now all of a sudden you could shoot your opponent and, and it's just part of the game. You can add some extra things in there. Yeah. But you have to determine, is, is that the kind of game that I want to create? And so I think early on, you just have to think from a product standpoint, what are we trying to do here? Are we trying to really uh, simulate the biathlon, really try to simulate this sport or this activity or, you know, whatever it is? Or do I want to have other things going on that maybe add a little more chaos, add a little more flexibility to my rule book, things like that. And I think it's just something to, to really think about as a designer, uh, which direction you want to take. Yeah, agreed. So I think it's kind of smart to, to put in <laughs> monsters because um, it gives you that edge, which you will not have in a, in a football game. So it's, it's a clever move. And I mean, I'm, we moved away from that position with, with a ski tour. I'm, I mean, if we would have kept it, it would have given us a lot of nice options um, to, to kind of, as you're saying, do things that are maybe not in a um, standard biathlon race. But it was also super interesting to keep true to to our our theme. So, so it was a hard decision. Yeah. And adding monsters, you get you get this unlimited uh, possibilities. You, you can you can do whatever you want to. And that also creates some chaos in in the mind of the creator. Um, and, and also the playtesters, you know, do this, do that, try this. Uh, when we keep, when we stay true to the theme, it's like, this is the game. Uh, and how can we give that feeling to the players in the best way? Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, you have that really cool constraint when you're operating out of a theme, you know, from reality, where if someone says, hey, I want to be able to shoot my opponents, it's like, well, well, well you can't, because that's not how <laughs> the real world works, you know? <laughs> and yeah. so it kind of gives you some really good parameters that you can just stay inside and you don't have to worry about getting outside of those or, you know, breaking the rules here and there. Uh, you can just figure out, okay, how do we make this as thematic as, as we possibly can inside of these uh, guardrails, so to speak. I think that's just a really cool way to to design a game. You know, and another thing, there's really there's no wrong answer. You know, whether you want to stay strictly thematic and with how it really is, or you want to throw zombies and monsters and, and dungeon creatures in there and, and do something totally different. Like, there's no wrong answer. It's just what kind of game are you setting out to do, and then how do you accomplish that vision? Agreed. Yeah. Uh, and and this, uh, you know, having a strong theme like uh, biathlon is. Uh, as Samuel said, you, you're going to meet a lot of people during the way that have um, very strong opinions on this theme. Uh, and, and this is something that is challenging, but it's also something that is very, very good. Um, because what, when we sent this game out for playtests, um, we, we get reactions like, hello, this is not how it is. You know, uh, you have penalty laps, for, for example. And me working as a game designer, I, I, I was designing these penalty laps uh, from the beginning and I thought, like, okay, how, what's, what's the smartest way to go here? Uh, and I designed a lap, I designed three or four different penalty laps, uh, depending on how many shots you miss at the shooting range. Um, and when we sent it out to, you know, these players that are also into the uh, biathlon, uh, they were wondering, like, hello, this is not how it looks this isn't staying true to theme um so so you get a good of 
good amount of good feedback uh, that you can like uh, use uh, because that that feedback is always true when when designing a game you 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 will get a lot of feedback uh, but then as a designer you have to think what 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 feedback is good what can i use what can i try um but but getting this feedback you know on the theme like hello you're doing this wrong um, that's always something that i can use and also i mean marketing wise let's take football with monsters i mean football with, with monster is, is it's a fantastic um idea for for gamers hardcore gamers um but if you would go to to any kind of um football field and you would show them these this game and they're not gamers they would probably kind of they would be a bit surprised so what we really try to do we try to build some kind of a mainstream engine as well which we could push through different channels not only hardcore board gamers yeah that's a really good point if i was trying to sell a football game to college bookstores, you know, college <laughs> and colleges and universities that have really big football programs and whatnot, a game with monsters, probably not the way to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, my thought was, okay, I'm going to take this to Kickstarter. And so people on Kickstarter typically aren't into sports in nope. general. So that's kind of a harder sell. So let's think about this, you know, gamers in general love fantasy a lot more than they love sports. So if I mix in some fantasy with the sports, what is that? And so just, you know, questions to ask yourself early on. Yeah, uh, and uh, you know, just getting this game out to reviewers has been a real challenge uh, because most reviewers they think like, "Oh, a sports game? No, we're not touching that." Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah and that's a problem. But uh, you know, we, we've been so nervous that once we found reviewers and we, we, they said, "Okay, we can try it. We're not sure we're gonna like it, but we can try it." And we found a few, uh, so we sent out prototypes to these guys and girls, and we were so nervous, you know, getting the first uh, responses. And it has surprised us a lot because we have got so far only good reviews, uh, and it's so fantastic, you know, to to be able to surprise the guys. And in in the most most reviews I read, it's like, oh, we didn't think this was gonna be good. Uh, when I opened the box. Oh, this was nothing for me. But when we played it, this and this and this and this. Uh, so, you, yeah, that's a challenge uh, reaching out with the sports game, getting people interested. It's really, really, really hard. But Gabe, I really, um, I really feel you because if you look at Kickstarter as a platform, I'm a lot of people buying games from Kickstarter. They are they are core gamers, and um, they will love those monsters. And I mean. Looking at, I think we're kind of six or seven days into the campaign. I I really feel that throwing in some monsters would have probably broadened our our horizons. But um, yeah, let's see where that goes. <laughs> yeah, another thing to think about whenever you're making a sports game or, or just a thematic game in general uh, is the audience. As far as like, what country are you going to sell this yeah. in? And so you know, y'all, you guys being in Sweden, you know, I don't know that. A bathlon game in a store shelf on a store shelf in Alabama is going to do nearly as well as it would in you know somewhere in Europe where biathlon is a lot more popular, where it actually snows, you know, where yeah. people are used to this kind of weather. And so, I think, and, yeah, absolutely. And uh, that's something I had to think about as well with a sports game. Is like, yeah. okay, if it's football, okay, really, the U.S. 
kind of Canada, kind of other places, but really just the U.S. plays American style football. And so that limits my market automatically before I've even designed anything that yeah. limits my market. And so it's like, okay, well, if I throw in some monsters and some other creatures, I think, does that expand the horizon a little bit where people aren't thinking, oh, this is only a football game. It's like, okay, well, it's a football-ish game. It's based on football, but it's got some other stuff going on. Maybe I'll give it a shot. And so I think that's another thing to think about uh, when you're designing a thematic game is just your, your core audience and where do they live? Mm-hmm. And is that a market you have access to? You guys living in Sweden, you have a lot more access to it than, say, if I designed a biathlon game and, and wanted to sell it. You, you have a much, uh, you have much better chance of making it work than than I do. So, yeah, and also something you'll have to kind of add to the mix um, is re- remembrance. And if you if you take most vivid gamers, they will have um, they will know that I really like sci-fi. I like big alien monsters. I really dislike. Um, uh, the nineteen, the 1890s um, old stylish game. I love these aliens. And they will kind of buy any kind of alien game that comes out there. And that's that's a real smart move, move for you because there are a few uh, football games with monsters which have been really, I mean, great. So they, people can catch up to that and, and um, walk the same line. For us, it is a problem because there are no biathlon games. Yeah, I mean, you're having to trailblaze right now and show that this kind of a game, this this theme can do well and it could be fun. And that's like you're saying, it's a little bit a harder barrier to entry for, for some people uh, to get into. One thing that's also a little more challenging, like one thing I've been so when people say, well, tell me about your game. I say, well, it's, it's like King of Tokyo mixed with Blood Bowl, right? Mm-hmm. It's that kind of a thing. And that gives people a, an automatic picture, assuming they're familiar with those games, of what the game is like. Yeah. right? And they kind of marry those ideas, marry those themes uh, together. And that's another thing you, you kind of run into when you're making. And let's actually talk about this as, as a whole. What are some of the biggest challenges? We've talked about several so far. But what are some of the other biggest challenges when you're designing a game that has a different theme to it? Uh, I know Carla Kopp at Weird Draft Games, she's designed, you know, she's put out some games that had very kind of odd themes to them. Uh, you know, not, not the normal fantasy and zombies and sci-fi. So what are some of the other challenges uh, on top of what we've already said, that you that you run into when you're designing a game that's kind of has an unexpected thing. Um, okay, so to start off with, you you have to kind of think um, which part of the market am I looking for here. Um, one of the main issues, if that if we would have done, um, uh, I mean, a super core biathlon game design wise, and uh, maybe done it like an 18x game um, without railways and with with skiers instead. Um, that would have kind of pushed our potential market away from us. So that is one of these main things that you have to look at, and it can be a big problem. Will this be acceptable for players and um, fans of the sports? What we did was that we worked a lot with, with illustrations and and um, user experience of the game so that both gamers and non-gamers would actually appreciate it. So that's that can be one of the main problems. And as one of the other big problems with the kind of working, especially with a sports team like this, is that people will, and we've been discussing it earlier, and I think it needs to be stressed out a lot. Um, you need to find um, a good middle way in ways that if you use um, a non-specific team, like with, with um, aliens, monsters, sci-fi, whatever, um, you, could, you, you, you could broaden and you could play around with the rules in whatever way you want. Um, this is an interesting problem because if if we cannot find a way to go around this to find ways to build the game and to feel the feel of the game, 
in which um, a lot of people will like. That will create a big gap in between what people want to buy and what we can create. Yeah, definitely. Now let's let's kind of look at another challenge, and that's that's art, and really, you know, having art that brings out the theme that kind of makes people feel like they're doing the thing. Cause you know, art is one of those places that it could really bring people in or it could really push people away depending on how well it's done or if it makes sense or if it works, you know, the style and whatnot. So tell me about the art. I really like the art in your game. It just really, it just brings it out. It makes it look cool. I love the the color palette and different things like that. So when you were designing the art, when you were directing the art, doing the art direction, uh, tell me about how you were trying to bring the theme out as much as possible through the cards, through the boards, through the box, that kind of thing. Yeah. So, okay. Um, designing a game, you know, you start with a pen and paper. So that, that was not the feeling we wanted to end with. But <laughs> um, w- once you get get past this pen and paper, we had uh, the the great um, fortune to to have a, an, an artist uh, in-house, so to speak, um, who could help us make the prototypes? Um, so, so we had one one design, uh, and we we worked really close with this designer um, to try to create something like this is what uh, what what kind of art we want. Um, th- this wasn't the, dis- the the design that we wanted to end up with, uh, but it, it gave us um, a head start. Uh, you know, looking at illustrations. Uh, when we got past the prototype stage, uh, we wanted to, you know, enhance the illustrations. So we, we decided to reach out to different uh, studios, uh, design studios, and um, uh, we could send these prototype materials we had. Like, this is close to what we want. Uh, and those studios, they sent back, like, this is what we can offer and this is what we can offer. And we found we found one uh, studio called Crimson, uh, and they are based in India. Uh, so that was like at first it was re- really not not an easy choice, you know, selecting a studio from India, uh, creating a biathlon game. We're going to get lost in translation doing this, uh, but we loved, as you say. Uh, this uh, color palette they used uh, it, it just talked to us from from the beginning um, and they have been really really great uh, working with uh, so I, I know a lot of people have really good experience uh, working with illustrations but also you can have you know a hard time um, getting your feeling and the, the illustrator's feeling to kind of mix in a good way um in this game that that was never an issue because from the very very start we had that same feeling um so um of course uh, uh, some things had to be corrected along the way like uh, we we wanted uh, one, one part of the track you can ski in a, a bit of a faster way um or you can you can make a turn in a different way and we we wanted to make an, another type of snow uh, and the first iteration we got uh, of this snow was mud, <laughs> uh, so that that had to be changed. Uh, th- there are a lot of of those li- tiny things that maybe for us it's it's really obvious. You know, this is how it is. And for Studio in India, they have never seen snow like in real life, so designing it not not very easy. 
but but the end result is fantastic, I think. Uh, also, we we wanted to you know bring bring something extra to the game. Uh, we we can have these straight straightforward tiles, um, but we wanted something extra. So so we decided to um, add at least one um, Easter egg. Uh, yeah, one one little Easter egg to to each uh, to each tile like uh, on one tile we have a tree with um, with a bird's nest and in it is a big meeple caring for his little baby meeples and <laughs> one baby meeple breaking out of an egg uh, on another we have like the snow witch from narnia cheering in the crowd and <laughs> on on every of the 20 base tiles there are different easter eggs to find um, yeah yeah, that's really cool. I think art is one of the main ways that you you bring the theme to life. You know, what I mean, uh, the mechanisms can feel just like the theme, but if the art doesn't go along with it, it's going to break people's kind of suspension of disbelief, right? Nobody sits there and think thinks, "Oh, I'm really doing the biathlon," but you can use the art to make them at least get that feeling where where they kind of you know can um, make believe, can believe, you know, imagine that they're really there, they're really skiing, they're really shooting, and just for a little bit uh, are enjoying the biathlon without having to feel the cold like we talked about a minute ago and i think yeah that- i mean look at look at these i'm i mean one of these really good examples for me is is, is brass brass birmingham or or lancaster i'm where i mean building on industry in the in the old industry age in in the uk it does not sound too much fun it, it, it's kind of in my mind that sounds a bit boring um, and then you just look at what they did with illustrations and how they brought the game to life. And that's kind of what we looked at. Early on with Tribes, we had um, we worked with an illustrator who were uh, did not get what we were looking at. And we had major issues with, with illustrations coming to life for the, for the game Tribes. And from that experience, we really decided that the main thing for us is to find someone that actually understands what we're trying to show does it make sense yeah absolutely and i think it's it's so pivotal uh to work with with people that you can communicate with well you know art direction i think doesn't get near the amount of, of time discussed about it and that's maybe something i need to really think about as far as the, this podcast and having more artists more art directors come on and just talking through because it's one of the most important aspects of creating a product of creating a game that people actually want to buy that when they see it on the table they stop and they say hey what is that game tell me more or they see it on a store shelf they stop they pick up the box they turn it over they look at it you know they see it on kickstarter and, and they pause you know the gaming market right now is so noisy. It's so difficult to stand yeah. out. But art is one of the main ways that you can draw people in. And especially if you have a game that's not super thematic, right? Like we were talking about earlier, that you're kind of, you're starting off with a mechanism. You're trying to figure out, okay, how do we add theme to it? Well, art is one of the main ways to make people at least feel like uh, that the theme is there, that the theme actually matters, that the theme is actually the game as opposed to it just kind of being, being pasted on. And so I think art is super, super important. Art or plastic? <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> Just throw a hundred minis in there and, and throw it up on Kickstarter, exactly. and you'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Definitely. Now, uh, it's, it's especially true for Kickstarter. Yeah, yeah. It, it just is what it is. You have to know the market that you're you're selling into. 
Now, earlier you mentioned playtesting, and so let's let's circle back to that. When when you're going through the playtesting process, what were some of the main things you were looking for as far as the theme? One thing you mentioned earlier was you know people came back with feedback and they say you know it just doesn't feel right. I think that's a great way to put it for a playtester. This just doesn't feel like I want it to feel. How do we fix that? What were some of the other things you were looking for during playtesting? I always want to look at uh, you know how how do the players playing look when they play the game? Are, are they engaged? Uh, are they bored? Uh, are there parts of the game that are you know, feeling slow. Uh, I want I want each game to you know have have very low downtime. I want players to be engaged um, the whole time. So so that's my main thing. Um, and from the beginning, creating this game, um, there was a lot of dime, downtime. Uh, this final product, we have very 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 low downtime. We have much <laughs> uptime. Yep. Uh, if, if I can put it in those words, uh, you're uh, active on your own turn and you're active on other players' turns. And, and this is thanks to, uh, you know, the playtesting sessions where I've tried to keep track of what's, what's the mood uh, around the table, uh, how, how are the players feeling. So, so that's where I, I start. Then, of course, you know, you go into detail. Uh, you look, okay, this was something that I can do different. This was good, but maybe if I do it like that, um, people will react in another way. Um, a lot of feedback from the players. Um, and, and I try to, when I design games, I try to listen to everything uh, the playtesters say. Uh, much of it is nothing, really. But uh, if, if you don't listen to everything, you, you're going to miss stuff. And, um, you know, you don't, you don't always have to try everything, but you have to think about everything. And, you know, just, just going from home from a playtest, uh, your mind, this is the, the most creative part, I think, of game design. You, you put your game out there, you look at people playing, you take notes, you talk to them afterwards, and then, you know, packing up your game, leaving the place, and, and your mind is going like, oh, this and that, oh, back and forth. And the next day, you know, you want to try all these things, but you have to, you know, be selective. Um, and I'm, I think, Gabe, you were spot on um, thematically wise. If you, when you, when you start playtesting um, and you're looking for thematic flaws, I mean, if you design a game and you have a mechanic which you really like, and this is the mechanic you want to focus your game around, I mean, people will like or dislike that kind of thematic or that kind of mechanic. But if you add thematics to it, if you you add a theme, um, you can they, people actually forgive you for choices that you that you've made. And during playtesting, that's really important to see that. Will my art theme um, make up for the de decisions made mechanical-wise? And that's really important because that will make the game, um, that will make people play the game two or three or four times instead of just the first time. So that's that's something that we really, really look into. And that's why it's so important to listen to all of these feelings that, oh, I didn't really feel right when I when I was shooting. It was... It was it was it didn't feel right, and it's super important. Even if the mechanic is sound, even if it's if it's the right kind of setup for 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 a proper shooting with with the mechanic we thought of, if it doesn't feel right, it's probably broken. It would and will kick out a lot of players that does not love the actual mechanic. And you also have to stay 
true to yourself because you you will get feedback that like this is bad but if if you think it's good maybe you know you're right uh, so you don't don't always listen to what everyone says um hear them think about it but remember that you're the designer uh, this is your choice uh, in the end yeah absolutely you know one of my favorite definitions of theme is that theme helps the game make sense it's it's how you make sense of the mechanisms yeah. right and and this came out in a one of my solo games the hunted in the hunted series where a grenade originally just gave you a really big die to roll you got to roll this big d12 and so you were almost guaranteed to hit but you were only going to hit one enemy and so if you're fighting multiple enemies you were almost guaranteed to take one of them out but i had some got some feedback from playtesters and they said well wouldn't it make more sense if the grenade could hit multiple people and i thought yeah. well well yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would make a lot more sense. And so I went back in, tweaked the mechanic a little bit to make and made it where, you know, if you roll certain numbers, you hit multiple enemies and it's rare. And so you're more likely just going to hit one, but it is possible that you could hit two, maybe even three, depending on how you roll. And so, you know, I, I think that's so good for playtesting to come back and say, hey, thematically, you know, a grenade should hit multiple people. Like, well, yeah, you're right. And and it, it just feels better. And again, that's why playtesting, especially blind playtesting is so, so incredibly important. Even if even if people would hate um, the actual mechanic of rolling these this die or uh, the chance was too too low or too high or whatever, just just adding the thematic correctness of of having the option or the the chance of, of hitting multiple enemies, it gives you um, credibility, which is which is what you're looking for. Yeah, for sure. And in this case, it actually makes the game a little bit more fun because you're not yeah. likely to hit multiple enemies. But when you do, you feel really good about it. Like you're really glad you played <laughs> that card, you rolled that die, you know, and even though it was luck, you you, you feel like you did something to make your, you know, help yourself win, uh, to help yourself win the game. And so I think that's, that's a really, really good, good point as far as, you know, playtesters, just how do they feel and how do you help them feel better <laughs> while playing yeah. your game? That, that's very important what you, what you say right there how, how do you make them feel better you know you can have things that um that just uh, penalties yeah you can have penalties for for the players in a game you can have like take that um but i, I think designing a game it's better to you know in, instead of having having one take that action you can have one bonus action for for the other player you know this this feeling of wow, this is good, instead of that feeling of, oh, this is really, really bad. So trying to keep that in mind, you know, we, we want the players playing to have a good time. Yeah, absolutely. You know, theme, I'm trying to think, I think Scott Rogers said this on the show a long time ago, many, many episodes ago. He said, people play games to feel three things. They want to feel powerful, they want to feel rich, or they want to feel smart, right? And so how do you help yeah. players feel that way? You know, 99.9% of the people that play your biathlon game are never going to compete in a biathlon, maybe never even get on a pair of skis, uh, you know, or, or get on some skis and shoot a gun. They're, they're not not going to do that. But you can give them the feeling. What's that? I think that's very optimistic math. I think 99.9 <laughs> is too much. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And so through this game, you know, you can give them the opportunity to kind of feel like they're doing it or at least have some kind of inkling as to what it's like. All right. And so... Right, let's, let's kind of keep talking about the, your theme and the mechanisms and whatnot. Tell me about some of the mechanisms in your game specifically that bring out the theme as far as you, you talked about Formula Day, Formula D being one of the games that kind of was an inspiration and wanted to do a racing game that became this bathline game. Tell me about how, how it works. How does the mechanism of the skiing, how does the mechanism of shooting, how do those things really bring out the theme? 
so as I talked about earlier, I, I, I had a few, few things that I wanted to be important in the game. Uh, and the most important thing is the, your stamina. Uh, so this is your resource. This is your main resource in the game is you have five stamina markers, like small wooden hearts. Um, and when you start a race, they are at the top. You know, they are, you're really uh, rested. Um, and then you roll dice and you place them on your player board. Uh, it's, it's not not a roll and move. It's someone called it a roll and draft. Um, so you place them on your player board and on your turn, uh, you may draft these dice back to your, um, to your hand. Uh, and depending on how you want to draft them, if you want to draft like one column or two columns or three and a sprint column, uh, you, you can do this by paying your stamina. Uh, so, you know, you can ski along uh, in a nice little uh, Sunday afternoon um, rhythm. Uh, and this will cost you no stamina. So when you get to the shooting range, you'll be rested. You have a good chance at hitting the targets. But probably you will be at the shooting range like half an hour after your competitors. Um, so this is, you have to spend your stamina during the race to increase the speed of your skier. Uh, and this means when you get to the shooting range, your stamina is lower. And lower stamina equals um, you know, shooting dice that are uh, harder to hit with. Um, so this is like, you always say a resource in a game should always have two functions, I think. Uh, so the, the stamina is your main resource here. It, its main primary function is moving your skier faster along the track. And its secondary function is shooting uh, at a shooting range. And misses causes you to you know have to go laps in the penalty lane. So uh, on one hand, it's good to spend it because you're going to go faster along the track. On the other hand, it's good to save it because you're more likely to hit the targets at the shooting range. So this is um, the main, you know, your main focus during the game. How do I spend it? Uh, should I let Samuel take the lead, um, you know, sprint away and I, I stay back, but I'm going to catch him at the shooting range because I'm going to hit while he misses. Um, so, so that's the, the main, you know, the main thing you need to focus on uh, during the race. Yeah, that's the that's the main decision point. And I really love how it makes sense. You know, if you're going to really tire yourself out by trying to go as fast as you can, it's going to be harder in the shooting portion because you're you're exhausted. And so yeah. it makes sense in the context of the game. Yeah, and we also kind of um it was important for us to to um I mean, we we're using die. And so you can say a lot of things about die, but um we really wanted to take away a lot of chance, um, which is interesting and hard with, with dice. So, so what we kind of um, we were really, really looking into a, a model where you can, you can mitigate um, the the actual role and use different columns. So if you've if you've done a bad role, you can always fix it with you with using stamina. And by the end, you the the the, the most cunning player would probably win because he has. He has found a middle way of because every everyone will actually do bad rolls and good rolls. I mean, during our forty-five minute game, 
a lot of roles will be done and I mean, there will be good roles and bad roles. But if you can mitigate those effects with your brains instead of just using the the largest column all each and every time, that makes a lot of difference. And that was one of the things that we were kind of looking at. Yeah, and you also have, um, talking about mechanics, you have uh, this uh, preparation phase I talked about. You know, you have, before the race, you must prepare your athlete. And uh, so the thing you do before the race even starts is you look at the racetrack and you say, okay, we have an uphill there. We have a downhill. Uh, here comes the shooting range. And then you have to wax your skis. So each nation, each nation has a unique set of wax tokens uh, that you place uh, furthest down on your player board. And these can only be used from the outsides in. So uh, to start with, you cannot use the two wax tokens on the fur furthest to the left and furthest to the right. Once you use them, you can use the next one. Uh, so this is also, you know, you have to plan your race ahead. Uh, and you have to, to, to win the race, you probably have to use your stamina, you know, to the max and probably be able to use a lot of the wax tokens as well. So there is... As, as one of the reviewers said, you have to use your nuggings. Yeah, very cool. Well, gentlemen, this has been great. What kind of closing thoughts, kind of final advice would you give someone, you know, they're, they're sitting there, they're listening to this, they're thinking, you know, I want to make a thematic game. I want to make sure my game is thematic. Is this thematic as possible? What would be your advice to them? Stay true to theme. I'm, uh, I mean, if, if something feels uh, right theme-wise, but bad mechanically, do not change uh, theme, change mechanics. Um, because otherwise you 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 lose the the soul of the game. And if you if you're really into to doing a thematic game, make sure that the theme lives all the way through. Yeah, and I would say don't get hung up on just working from theme or just working from mechanics. Um, you know, don't get hung up on themes at all. Uh, but if you stumble upon a great one, or if you really really are into one theme yourself, and you think that this game um for, for this game to work the theme needs to be central then start your work um, around the core of that theme uh, and i also think it's important to know that game design is art so so be an artist you know the game you're making is yours at the same time uh, others are expected to enjoy it um what i mean is you know create something you enjoy something you think is good and uh, that tells the story that you want to tell. And um, yeah. Awesome. Well, we've been talking about it this whole time, but give me the uh, two minute Kickstarter, like elevator pitch for your game. <laughs> I'm okay. The game is, is um, it's a sports game, uh, but it's not a sports game. It's, it's more of a, or it's more of a tactical uh, being clever and outsmarting your, your opponent's game. Uh, it has a lot of nice uh, elements to it with strategy. It has a lot of, it has a lot of uh, interesting things going on, and it's it has some chance in it, which we actually like. But it's 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 not too much. It's it's a biathlon game. So um, if you really do not like the the side of snow, it's probably not for you. But it's 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 really really in the essence a racing game, which is interesting to the very end, and it's it's also for a large. Um, crowd there's a lot of people that can actually enjoy the game not only the most vivid gamers but also also players not very much used to um 
to a board game. So go on to Kickstarter, have a look. Um, we're a lot, we're alive and kicking. We're very soon to fund, which is fantastic. But we need all the support we can get because, I mean, let's face it. Um, the more the more games we can sell, the the more games we can push out, and the happier we are and you guys are because we can we can make the game as good as possible if you help us out reach those fantastic stretch goals. Yeah. Uh, also, uh, talking about a game, I would say there are three things that we listed. It's low downtime. Uh, <laughs> low downtime. Uh, you know, you, you play the game in two phases where you're active all at once in the first phase and in the second phase, uh, one player at a turn is active, but in their turn, we're all active since we can, you know, react to what other players do. Uh, we have high player interaction. Uh, and also, we're really proud of the tiles of the game. You know, it's a modular board. So each time you play, you can set up the game. Like today, I want to play a 20-minute race. Today, I want to play one and a half hour. Uh, and today, I want to play with my son who's or my daughter who are seven years old. And I want to do my very, very best. So I set my stamina to green. Uh, to yellow while my son can have green. So it, it's a very modular game that fits everyone. Very cool. Well, I hope it does really well on Kickstarter. And gentlemen, really appreciate your time. Really appreciate you coming on the show. So good luck with the Kickstarter and everything else you got going on right now. Thank you. Thank you, Gabe. Thanks for having us. Thanks for listening. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com and find all sorts of game design resources, bonus material, and chances to win free games at boardgamedesignlab.com. And until next time, keep designing, keep playtesting, and keep creating great games. Did I mention keep playtesting?